Hi there! Welcome to History in Retrograde. This is the podcast where we use the ancient art of astrology to help us better understand the past. I'm your co-host, Chandler O'Quinn, and joining me live via satellite is my mom! Hi, Mom! Hi, Chandler! How are you? I'm doing very well. Are you ready to begin (laughs) another grand experiment? I am very ready. Let's go! All right, let's give it a whirl! Okay, let's give it a whirl. So it's a very blustery day here today at the beach. It's very spring, windy weather. It's very pretty. And I just want to say hello, everybody. Thank you so much for listening to our little show. Thank you for being there wherever you are. We're so happy you're here. And we just love it that you're there to listen to the show. Yes, uh, thank you all so much. Uh, Those of you who've been listening to us for a long time, those who are just now discovering the show, uh, we're so happy uh, for all of to have all of you listening to us uh, around this uh, great country of ours and around this wonderful world. Uh, And for those of you, if this is your first episode of History in Retrograde, welcome. Uh, The way that we do things here is that uh, in a moment, I will give the astrological birth data of a random historical figure to my mother. She will then input that data into the bat computer and out will come the astrological birth chart where all the planets moons and stars were at the moment that this person was born Uh, she will then do her best to give a blind reading of this chart uh, telling us what she can about the person's motivations personality characteristics fortunes of this mystery history guest i will then reveal to her uh, who our historical figure is give a little background about the person and then we'll come together at the end and see how accurate the chart was at determining what that person would do. Uh, Without any further ado, let us begin. Okay. This is a female Mm -hmm. born on the 27th Uh of July. Okay. 1944. All right. Do we have a time? We unfortunately do not. No. (laughs) What time do you want to use? Noon. All right. And where in the world? Uh, The United States. Okay. And what city? Uh, Woodland, Mississippi. Uh, There's two? Chickasaw. Okay. All right. So this is a female born July 27th, 1944, Chickasaw County, Mississippi. Okay, we're going to see what this lady's chart looks like in Placidus Houses. Okay, all right. I think we're just going to read this Placidus. Let's take a look. My goodness. First of all, I would like to say this looks like a very career person. Could have been very show busy. Let's see. We have Sun at 4 degrees Leo, Moon at 26 degrees Libra, Mercury at 28 degrees Leo, Venus at 12 degrees Leo, Mars at 9 degrees Virgo, Jupiter at 0 degrees Virgo, Saturn at 4 degrees Cancer, Uranus at 11 degrees Gemini, Neptune at 2 degrees Libra, Pluto at 8 degrees Leo, North Node at 27 degrees Cancer, Chiron at 14 degrees Virgo, and her ascendant is 17 degrees Libra. Wow. Okay. So we do not know what time this person was born. 
So with that said, we are just using noon as a time. Um, by using noon at a time, we're going to see, or as the time, we're going to see how this works. But um, as it stands right now, using noon, this person has an ascendant of 17 degrees Libra, which would have made them very pretty, very, really pretty. Um, and their moon is in the first house, which would have, should have made them very feminine, very beautiful and feminine because they, they have at noon, if we were using this, which is what we're doing, they have moon in the first house in Libra. So if we look at it the other way, regardless of whether or not they have Libra rising, they still have moon in Libra, which is going to make them um, just, you know, really pretty. Okay, so using noon, we have moon in the first house, which would make them um, comfortable. People would be comfortable emotionally with this person. We have um, Scorpio on the second house cusp. And again, we don't know what time this person was born, so we're just choosing noon. So we're just going to go around the chart until we get to the planets. Uh, Sag on the third house cusp. Capricorn on the fourth house cusp. Aquarius on the fifth house cusp. Pisces on the sixth house cusp. Aries on the seventh house cusp. Taurus on the eighth house cusp. Per this chart, using noon as a birth time, we have Uranus in Gemini falling in the eighth house. Now, this person having Uranus in Gemini is going to make them speak of, um, have a vernacular that is a little more uh, futuristic. Um, the background noises that you're hearing are my um, standard poodle, Yippee. She refused to go out of my room because it's storming outside. <laughs> so if you hear panting and head shaking, that's her. Um, so speaking, communicating uh, in a unique or possibly um, technical manner. Uranus in, in Gemini. Also, Uranus is things out of the blue, things happening out of the blue. And, and somehow this has to do with communication, media, marketing, all the things that um, are Gemini and making them unique is Uranus because Uranus is unique and fast and out of the blue. So we have that. And in this situation, it's in the eighth house. Uh, the ninth house cusp by this chart is Gemini. And uh, this person has Saturn in Cancer in the ninth house in this situation. Saturn in Cancer, Saturn is the planet that rules Capricorn. Uh, and it used to rule Aquarius. It is the planet of 
teaching, learning, time, um, lessons. And in cancer, it would be nurturing, very nurturing. Um, the lesson is to nurture with this person. That doesn't change based on the birth time. She has Uranus in Gemini and Saturn in Cancer, no matter what. Uh, this person has North Node at 27 degrees Cancer. So also, that goes along with the Saturn in Cancer. And that, again, does not change um, at all. So this person has a double dose of nurturing as their lesson, as their, as their direction, as their, um, the direction they should be going. If this person were to be extremely self-centered, they would be not necessarily self-centered, but less nurturing and more business career-minded, they would be following their south node, which would be the opposite of this north node. You know what I mean, Chandler? Mm -hmm. Okay. Is any of this making sense so mm -hmm. far? Oh, okay. Um, then uh, per noon, this person has sun at four degrees Leo, Pluto at eight degrees Leo, Venus at 12 degrees Leo, all falling into this person's 10th house because we've set that time as noon. And this person also has Mercury at 28 degrees Leo. So we have a stellium in Leo because a stellium is three or more planets. Some astrologers do it a different way. Some say four or more. I say three or more. And I don't even feel that they necessarily have to be conjunct by degree. These are conjunct by degree because the sun is only four degrees away from Pluto and Pluto and, and Mercury is only four degrees away from Pluto. You see this? Uh huh. Okay. Then Mercury at 28 degrees is uh, not conjunct by degree, but it is conjunct by sign. This is a huge amount of Leo. Okay. I cannot imagine that this person was not somehow in show business. Um, if they're not in show business, then they're definitely some sort of Leo, uh, Leo <laughs> leader. Um, or maybe having to do with all the other things that are Leo, children, romance, entertainment, leadership, um, just so much because Leo is ruled by the sun. And this is extremely powerful because this person has sun, their sun, which Leo rules. So that's double, right? And conjunct Pluto, conjunct Venus. There's something here with this person's sh bright, shiny person. Um, then... Uh, the 11th house cusp is Leo, because I'm doing Placidus houses, not whole houses. And uh, in their 11th house, which is the house of uh, groups of people, they have 
uh, Jupiter at zero degrees Virgo, which is very significant. Zero degrees is a very significant degree. Uh, Mars at nine degrees Virgo and Chiron at 14 degrees Virgo, which is all uh, conjunct one after another, like dominoes um, by degree. So all this Virgo could lend a hand to healing, but medical healing, not spiritual healing. Um, it could make this person extremely organized. It can make them like very smart, um, quick, quick thinking. Um, with Jupiter conjunct Mars conjunct Chiron, it's like, and, 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 but I mean, we don't know if it's in the 11th house or not, but if it is in the 11th house, it would be healing groups of people. That would be their passion. But Jupiter at zero degrees Virgo, I mean, the most powerful degrees are zero and 29. So this is big for this person to have Jupiter conjunct Mars conjunct Chiron. It's almost like somehow they are passionate and, um, benevolent about healing. And that will not change based on the house, whatever house this is in, there is a benevolence because it's Jupiter. There's so much. And then Mars is passion. So much passion with regarding, uh, Chiron, which is the wounded healer healing. I don't know if that makes any sense. Then we have Neptune in Libra at two degrees. This is showing per this birth time in the 12th house, but even no, whatever house it's in, Neptune in Libra is going to lend to that glamour, that um, illusion. Uh, um, like a dream, like this is a dream, but beautiful dream because it's Libra. So it's a beautiful dream and it is conjunct the moon, whether we're going with this Libra rising or not. This still making sense? Yes. Oh, okay. So do you have any questions? Um, Where would you find her at a party? Mesmerizing people. <laughs> This person is like a magical, beautiful unicorn. Uh, there is no way that this person would not be the center of attention at a party or anywhere, wherever this person goes. This person lived their whole life like this. There's no way around it. Uh, if she uh, were going to uh, university, uh, what subject do you think she'd like to study? Wow. Everything. Uh, I can only imagine she was very, very smart and quick and really great with literature, mathematics. Um, I just can't see that she wouldn't be really good with those because she's got all this Virgo. I do not know what house it all falls in 
in this situation where we've given her a birth time of noon, she has Saturn in the ninth house. So with that there, having Saturn in the ninth house, you would learn and learn and learn and learn and learn. That would be what you do until you teach. You know what I mean? She's also got this uh, Uranus and Gemini quick thinking, really lightning fast thinking. So um, she could study journalism. She could study medicine. She could study, I mean, this person liked to study everything though, but you probably find her hanging out in the theater. <laughs> Something that has to, if this is not a show business person, I don't know what to say. What's her relationship to money? Well, it's hard to say because we don't know for sure what her second house is, but her Jupiter is in Virgo. And her Venus is in Leo. So I want to say she has a way about her where she could be extravagant because of this Venus in Leo, because Venus rules the second house, right? Because that's where I have to go, because I don't know for sure what her second house is. So I'm going to Venus and her Venus is in Leo, which would have made her very giving, you know, but having Jupiter and Virgo, which is just your luck, you know, your, you go to Jupiter to see your luck and your, and she has Jupiter at zero degrees Virgo. So um, that also does not make her less giving, but it kind of gives her this earthy Jupiter, right? Jupiter in Virgo, uh, which could make her fairly uh, prosperous. You know what I mean? But she would have to fight back and forth on how she is going to be so benevolent with this Venus in Leo, but still be accountable with her Jupiter in Virgo. Does that make any sense? So she would have a conflict within herself between generosity and maintaining her prosperity? Yeah, her nature is that she wants to be very, very giving because Leos are very giving, all right? They want to give lavish gifts. They want to entertain you. But she has Jupiter in Virgo and Mars in Virgo which would give her a little bit of stability. So she doesn't give everything away. You know what I mean? Okay. How would she dress? That's hard to say because um, I don't know what her rising sign is, but um, she has moon in Libra and she has Venus in Leo. Um, so I would assume she would dress very elegant and feminine, um, but also uh, a little out there. Um, Leos are going to be flamboyant, and this person has a stellium in Leo. So there should be some flamboyant, uh, I guess, imagery going on here. 
How does she do with partners? This is also hard because I don't know for sure where her seventh house cusp is. But let's look at her Mars. Her Mars, if we're speaking of a romantic partner, her Mars is in Virgo. So having Mars in Virgo, she's going to want an intellectual partner as far as a romantic partner. That's what she should want. Someone who is on her mental level, because I would imagine she's very smart. Um, her Venus is in Leo, so she might want some drama. She might want someone who is a bit um, romantic. Uh, it's very interesting. She wants, she wants a brilliant romantic scientist man. <laughs> Is this an intuitive person? Uh, her Neptune is in Libra, which is an air sign, which could make her cerebral, imaginative. She's open to it. Um, I don't see anything specifically in her chart. Like, she doesn't have... Um, a lot of water in her chart, which would make her more intuitive. Um, she just has Saturn in Cancer. She's more performance, you know, and thought process and communication. She luckily has this Saturn in Cancer. Uh, which gives her some water, you know, it gives her some uh, depth to the emotions, you know, because it is Saturn. So there's lessons with the emotions for her. She's mostly a glimmering, shimmering star. <laughs> Whatever she's doing. I mean, she could be a scientist and still be a star. How would she handle attention? Um, she would drink it like a potion because she has too many planets in Leo. It would be impossible for her. I don't even see a conflict with her not being benevolent with it. Like she would adore the attention and, 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 and also give it back. You know what I mean? It would be reciprocated. Do you have any other uh, final first impressions? Well, I think I would really like her. Uh, I'm assuming, of course, that all of these planets are being worked from the good side because the bad side, if this person were a villain, they could be extremely self-centered and very egotistical. But I have a feeling that this person is more benevolent and, and sunshiny, which is what I, I would like to think of everyone. <laughs> I always see the good side in people, which is a mistake on my part a lot. But um, I think she would be amazing and very um, lovely to bask around because she has so much sunshine. You could just, you know, feel it coming off of her. 
it's a natural uh, magic. All right. Well, I think we're ready for a uh, summary of our findings. Okay. So the first thing that you said is that uh, she would be very show business. Mm -hmm. uh, very pretty, really pretty, very mm -hmm. beautiful, feminine. Mm -hmm. People uh, would be emotionally comfortable uh, with her. Mm -hmm. uh, she could speak futuristically, communicate in a unique and technical manner. Mm -hmm. uh, there are lessons uh, in nurturing. Uh, there is a double note, dose of nurturing as her direction. Mm -hmm. She has to be in show business. She is a bright, shiny person. Mm -hmm. Extremely organized, smart, quick thinking. Uh, she wants to heal groups of people. That would be her passion. She is passionate and benevolent about healing. She would be glamorous. Uh, come off as an illusion like a beautiful dream, mesmerizing people at a party. Uh, she would be like a magical, beautiful unicorn. Mm -hmm. uh, she would be the center of attention. She would want to study everything. Uh, she would be good in all subjects, literature, math, science. Uh, she would want to, uh, she loves to learn, uh, though she is uh, very attracted to the performing arts. Mm -hmm. uh, she could be extravagant, very giving. Uh, there is an earthy prosperity about her. Mm -hmm. uh, there is a conflict within her uh, regarding this uh, generosity uh, versus maintaining her prosperity. Mm -hmm. She would dress very elegantly, feminine, uh, but somewhat out there and flamboyant. Mm -hmm. uh, she would want an intellectual partner. Uh, someone who could meet her on an equal mental level. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe someone dramatic, uh, romantic, some brilliant romantic scientist. Uh, mm -hmm. She uh, could be very cerebral, imaginative, and open-minded. There is a depth to her emotions. Uh, she would appear as a glimmering, shimmering star. <laughs> yes. Uh, she... Uh, is benevolent with attention. Uh, she adores it and then gives it back. Mm -hmm. uh, she has your seal of approval. Yes. Uh, she uh, could be, uh, if reading this uh, in the negative, she could be very self-serving and egotistical. But more likely, uh, she would be amazing, lovely mm -hmm. to bask around. So mm -hmm. much magic and sunshine. Yes. Uh, is there uh, anything that I've left out? No, I think that's it. Are you ready to find out whose chart you've been reading? I am. I'm very ready. Do you have any ideas on who it might be? No, I don't. You are looking at the astrological birth chart of Bobby Gentry. <gasps> oh. Oh, my goodness. Wow, that just gave me chills. Oh, my goodness. Oh, that makes so much sense. And you know what's weird? I don't know why I feel sad right now. Mm. That's very interesting. Like, all of a sudden, I was, I was overwhelmed with sadness. Like, something... And I don't know that much about Bobby Gentry. Um... 
Ooh, well, tell us, Chandler. Tell us about Bobby Gentry. Well, uh, I will just let the uh, listening, viewing audience know that uh, this episode may be highly edited because uh, of the immense crush that I have on this woman. She is uh, (laughs) the most beautiful woman inside and out, the voice of an angel. Um, (laughs) There are probably times where I'll have to edit out my heart skipping a beat as I talk about this lovely woman. Um, Bobby Gentry uh, was born uh, Roberta Lee Streeter, uh, July 27th, 1944, Chickasaw County, Mississippi. Uh, Her mother was Ruby Lee and father Robert Streeter. Uh, They were uh, separated uh, just shortly after she was born. Uh, And her mother went off to live in California. And uh, that left uh, little... Uh, Roberta to live in the home of her paternal grandparents in uh, Chickasaw County. Uh, She uh, was raised in a house uh, in abject rural poverty. Uh, No Mm. plumbing, no electricity, uh, like something from a hundred years before. Nothing much had changed in uh, her little uh, area of Mississippi. Uh, She uh, was absolutely captivated by the piano player at church and studied uh, how he played the piano so well that she taught herself how to play the piano. Wow. Uh, Her grandmother uh, saw the talent of this young woman and uh, sacrificed their prize milk cow so that they could get an upright piano in their house. And... uh, Young Bobby started uh, teaching herself uh, on the piano uh, in the home uh, to uh, play songs. By the time that she was seven years old, she had composed her first song, uh, My Dog Sergeant is a Good Dog. Uh, A few years later, uh, they moved to the town of Greenwood, Mississippi. Greenwood lies between the Yazoo and the Tallahatchie River. Uh, She uh, studied there for a a while, living with her father, and then at the age of 13, uh, she moved uh, to California to live with her mother in Palm Springs. Mm. Uh, While she was there, she taught herself guitar, banjo, bass. Um, She uh, started performing uh, in different nightclubs uh, with her mother, uh, sort of a a dual act. Uh, And then uh, uh, she saw a, a movie. Uh, there's this movie that I guess was being re-shown uh, in the 1950s. Uh, and uh, it was the, the movie's title was Ruby Gentry. Mm. And uh, it was about this uh, poor backwoods uh, woman who married the town tycoon and got everything that she ever wanted. Mm. Uh, and so she decided to take on her stage name would be Bobby Gentry uh, mm. after the title character. Uh, she graduated high school and she went to the uh, to UCLA, uh, where she studied philosophy, uh, and got uh, her degree in that. And while she was working on that, she had odd jobs, secretarial jobs, also um, uh, playing uh, in clubs and nightclubs. She uh, played a club uh, in Vegas, and uh, Bob Hope said that uh, he, uh, she should uh, keep it up; that she has some real talent. Uh, She also did modeling, and uh, she recorded a few things uh, in 1963 that would later be released in 1966, but uh, kind of difficult to get into uh, the music industry. 
Um, but in 1967, uh, she recorded a demo record of her own songs, songs that she had written herself, which, uh, for those who may not be familiar with the music industry in the 60s, this was still very rare. You had people who were songwriters and you had musicians, and the musicians weren't really the ones writing their own songs. Mm-hmm. Uh, she, in fact, started this whole journey thinking that she wasn't going to be the one singing the songs, that she was just going to be writing them for other people. Uh, And so she uh, writes pretty much a whole album of songs, and uh, she uh, eventually finds these songs get to the desk of Kelly Gordon, who is an executive at Capitol Records. And uh, he picks out one song that he sees as being uh, really unique and something uh, that uh, is really funky and uh, soul-driven and is really going to be the big hit uh, would be a great single. Uh, And this is uh, Mississippi Delta, which uh, now doing all this research, I will always remember how to spell Mississippi because of this (laughs) song. M-I-S-S-I-S-S-I-S-S-I-S-S-I-S-S-I-S-S-I-S-S-I-S-S-I-S-S-I-S-S-I-S-S-I-S-S-I-S-S-I-S-S-I-S-S-I-S-S-I-
that um, she was 23 years old, but she knew exactly what the rest of her life was going to be like, that uh, she didn't really plan on being in the music industry very long. She didn't see that as the way that she was going to be everything that she wanted out of life. Uh, And she wasn't exactly sure how it was all going to play out, but she talked to him about how uh, she'd seen her mother, and her mother had been married to rich men and had been married to poor men, and that she had lived her whole life in poverty, and she was going to make sure that she was going to be rich for the rest of her life and Mm -hmm. she was going to live in some big mansion down south uh and that always stuck in his head and is really prophetic as we get further into the gentry story Mm -hmm. Uh, so the uh, single debuts uh, in july of 1967 and uh, it quickly climbed the charts Uh, it spent four weeks at number one uh, and it dislodged uh, the beatles all you need is love wow uh, the album was released in August, so that's how quickly they churned this album out, and uh, it displaced Sgt. Pepper as number one in 1967. Uh, she would end up taking home three Grammys that year, uh, Best New Artist, Best Female Artist. Um, she was, I mean, this was huge the, uh, for, for a debut album uh, to come out so quickly and to rise so quickly uh, was really unheard of. Mm-hmm. and. Uh, not a whole lot of people have necessarily delved into the album work. Like I think many people, especially of a certain generation are familiar with Ode to Billy Joe and, Mm -hmm. and the mystery that's involved and uh, uh, everything there. But the whole album, she's making concept albums at a time when only the big, big, like the Beatles are making concept albums. It was Mm -hmm. rare, but she really told you this whole story of, and these short stories, uh, really, she is a writer on the same pedigree of uh, Flannery O'Connor or William Faulkner and Mm -hmm. telling these stories and detailed character studies, but doing it in just four minutes. Uh, That takes a whole nother level of talent Mm -hmm. that she's putting into this. Um, and, and I, I think she should be remembered in the same vein as a Tom T. Hall or Jim Croce as these people who are telling you this whole story in just a few minutes. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you get to l- know who these people are. Um, and just the, the whole album, I encourage anyone to go Spotify, wherever you get your music, listen to the album from beginning to end. Um, it, it, you, you get all these, uh, detailed characters. It's like you, you, you've lived yourself in the Mississippi Delta, uh, mm. by, by listening to this music. One of the songs, uh, is simply called Bugs. Uh, and she talks about if anyone spent any time down south, you know how big a problem the bugs are. And there's <laughs> polywalk and there's tadpoles and there's red wasps and uh one of the big things is uh uh, uh, in the course she goes hey look it's me with the ddt (laughs) 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 try any get a club anything to get these bugs away from you um then uh so this big hit massive hit uh going into uh february uh 68 it's time to record the next album and this is another a uh, complete concept album and really not only is she uh, uh writing these songs and performing these sh- songs she's now starting to take an even more active role in the whole producing of it figuring out which artists she wants to sing with her figuring mm-hmm. out that she's the one that she wants to record the other instruments you're now dealing with four and 
eight tracks where you can record yourself on each of these instruments. This is something that the Beatles are just starting to discover, and she is doing it all on her own. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, she's uh, producing this uh, uh, pretty much on her own. She doesn't get the credit for it at all. Uh, the producing all uh, gets credited to Kelly Gordon again. But this is all uh, a big concept album. And again, like um, Ode to Billy Joe, it is uh, sort of this uh, uh, you're living the life. Uh, you're meeting these different people, these different characters that you would come about uh, living in some uh, small Mississippi Delta town. And uh, this did not strike uh, the hit that the first album did uh, Mm -hmm. in the U.S., but in the United Kingdom, they really loved it. And Mm so uh, she ends up going there in the summer of 68, and she does a television show, uh, a short little variety series uh, meant to only last about six episodes, but that's six weeks of television that she's in the homes of um, all these people on the BBC. Mm -hmm. And... uh, the some of the producers like they remember uh, working with her and uh, one of the artists that she brought on was from the Hollies, um, Alan Clark. Uh, sh- he remembered that a lot of people called her a uh, uh, the the hippie from Mississippi, mm-hmm. and uh, she he said uh, uh, she she was not a hippie, she was a lady. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and if you ever see her with, with the makeup and the hair, the huge hair and the long hair and the outfits, I, oh, just one of the most beautiful <laughs> women in the world. Um, and, and everyone thought so. And uh, then uh, going into the fall of 68, uh, she gets on Glenn Campbell's television show. And these two immediately have chemistry. Um, and uh, they decide that... Uh, the other albums haven't been working, uh, and so they want to do a duet album with Glenn Campbell and Bobby Gentry. And this is an, a fantastic album. I think it's all covers. They may have had a few of uh, covers of Glenn Campbell's original songs in there, but mostly covers of early 50s songs. Um, but it just their take on it, they did um, Little Green Apples. That's one of my favorite songs. And uh, they then do another TV special together. And I don't know if anyone else has has caught this but i caught it when i was watching it again is uh they're about to sing little green apples and the way that you record television shows uh, you have to have a pre-recording you you can't do everything live you have to have the song already recorded and then you're kind of miming along with it so that you have good sound quality and i'm not blaming them for having that happen but uh glenn campbell uh does not start playing the, the the guitar even though the guitar is already playing in the song and you can see him, he's just lost in her eyes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so he, 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 and then he catches up and starts uh, fake playing the guitar in the song. Uh, but I just thought that that was uh, uh, such an interesting detail and, and how well that they work together. Um, uh and uh, around this time, getting into 68 and 69, um, the the pop culture world, the American pop culture world is changing drastically. Uh, you're getting out of sort of the mod uh, era, getting into the real uh, hippie era, and people are uh, looking at Bobby Gentry and they're, they're not taking her very seriously. First of all, this was a problem she had all throughout her life, that no one thought that someone that beautiful could also be that smart. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you have uh, 
the people who who are in the counterculture looking at her and she's not uh, uh looking like she came out of the woods she's not uh, a dirty hippie she's always immaculate she always mm-hmm. has the best clothes on and uh people are looking at that well you're you're representing the establishment when you uh put on all that stuff and you really need to look dirtier and for her for a person who had grown up in abject poverty and now had money mm-hmm. she was not going to uh, uh go without anymore uh, she was going to have the best of the best clothes and hair and makeup and everything and didn't care what anyone else thought about it but mm-hmm. it started to hurt her career in that way i think it's also really interesting that this is a time when she starts dating bobby darren uh Bobby Darren, uh, I, I thought that he stayed with Sandra D the whole time, but they end up getting a divorce in 67. And so uh, I think that they definitely had something to connect upon because they were both being looked at by the culture as uh, somewhat uh, outdated, that they uh, were still doing these fancy, elegant things when mm. the culture was now turning towards that, that somehow the dirtier you were, the more authentic you were and the more mm-hmm. genuine you were. And they were both trying to get their stories out there at the same time. This is when Bobby Darren also starts to try and do folk songs and record these things. And he's getting laughed and booed out of places Mm -hmm. uh, because he's the splish splash guy. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think that it's interesting that those two found each other and uh, were in a romantic relationship for a while. Um, Going uh, throughout uh, 1969, uh, she records uh, Touch Him With Love. This becomes a huge hit in the United Kingdom. Uh, In December of 1969, uh, she marries Jack Hara of Hara's Casinos. Uh, So she was going to make sure that she was not going to be poor anymore. (laughs) Um, That that marriage only lasted a few months, though, and they end up divorcing in April of 1970. Uh, in uh, the fall of 69, uh, she had already recorded uh, about three other albums, including the one with Glenn Campbell by this time. So that's that gives you just an idea of how hard she's working from 67 till 69. She's already put out three or four albums, uh, but none of them have reached the hit that Ode to Billy Joe was. Mm-hmm. And so the producers are starting to get a little antsy about this. Um, and Rick Hall, who was a producer for a smaller uh, record, company uh, in Muscle Shoals, Alabama, he strikes a deal with Capital um, so that he can get a chance to work with Bobby Gentry. And so uh, she comes back from England and they go to L.A. and uh, Rick Hall remembers having a, a lunch with her and uh, had never met her before. And she go they go to the, Holly, uh, the Brown Derby mm-hmm. uh, and uh, she walks in and he remembers that uh, she had a hair uh, that was down to there and a skirt uh, that was about up to there. Uh, <laughs> so uh, that gives you an idea of how long the hair was and how short the skirt was and that it was a red polka dot dress with these huge polka dots on it and it had a matching floppy hat Mm-hmm. Um, and they're talking about her career and she wants to know how she can get another hit again. And Rick says, well, I, I need you to write me another Billy Joe. Do you think you can do that? And she said, yes, I think I can. And about two weeks later, uh, he gets a phone call and it's, uh, Bobby Gentry and, uh, he, or she plays for him on the phone, a 12 minute version of Fancy. 
Wow. Uh, this was the. Uh, this had to be cut down. Uh, I I I hope somewhere in the world exists this twelve minute version of the song, but um, uh, they would eventually cut it down to four minutes, which is still really long in the pop music industry. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's just such a unique uh song and people have been trying to label her into some any category country or soul or something and this song more than anything really shows that she's her own genre altogether um and he talks about her her unique sound and that she would specifically her her taste that um she had a five gut string martin guitar there were only three of them in the world and she had mm-hmm. one of them uh because she knew that was the sound that worked best with her voice and with the story that she wanted to tell and uh i I think that if anyone if you haven't heard the song fancy or if you've only heard the version that reba did uh you have to listen to bobby gentry's fancy It, it it really shows all of her artistic ability uh as a writer and as a uh performer um it is such and people can get lost in the chorus and uh it's such a funky and fun chorus but at the heart is this dark story about a mother who has to turn her 16 year old daughter out as a sex worker and mm-hmm. that uh no sh- don't let me down and that fancy didn't let her down she charmed a king and a congressman then got everything that she ever wanted out of life there's a lot of autobiographical things uh, when you start dissecting these songs that she's writing um and uh so they go to the uh they release the single in uh, the fall of 69 uh and it peaks at number eight on the billboard charts and a lot of people just think of her as this two-hit wonder that she had ode to billy joe and she had fancy but the albums are are entire uh, novels in themselves. Uh, so uh, th- they talk about during the recording sessions in 1970, um, there's this one point where they all have this party at this house, and I think it was Rick Hall who talks about this, that um, she was the, the center of attention at the party. Everybody wanted to be around her and bask mm-hmm. in her glow, and then a few uh, hours go by and nobody knows where she went. And uh, Rick uh, goes out the back door and uh, Bobby is is sitting uh, in the parking lot uh, and she's looking up at the stars uh, saying that she just needed to be by herself uh, for a little while and that she she was doing all right, but it it just gets to be too much sometimes. Mm uh, she uh, records uh, that the whole album, the, most of the rest of the songs, I think all the rest except for Fancy are all covers, but uniquely hers. And she had now gotten this reputation in the music industry as being difficult to work with, uh, which is definitely something that people say of women who want to have more control uh, over the things that they're putting out and take a more active role in uh, the projects that they're producing. Mm. Uh, So people were a little nervous working with her on this, but everyone who worked on that album talks about how kind and sweet and generous and nurturing she was. She was just very particular in exactly the sound that she wanted to produce for this album. She had a vision in her head and she wanted to make sure that that vision came out. Um, and that's exactly what happened. Um, by 1971, uh, she records uh, the album Patchwork. Uh, this is her final album. Um, it is self-written, self-produced, and she even did the artwork for uh, the album sleeve. Uh, 
Wow. Um, uh, and and it's amazing to you can hear in the songs and the album, she's telling everybody what's going on in her life and uh, how she feels about things and and really how she sees it as this farewell. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, one of the songs uh, is about a uh, is about a, a a stripper in Corpus Christi, and uh, the part of the chorus of the song goes, uh, "You know my body, but you don't know my mind," mm-hmm. um, and. You, that I think that she's really trying to reach out and tell us something uh, uh, about herself when uh, she does a song like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's her her last album. She doesn't record anything m- much more uh, for the rest of the decade, and uh, uh, sh- the album doesn't do very well. It's not a big hit. They really don't know how to promote it because it's so unique and and it's really a novel put on LP. Mm-hmm. Um, she does a lot of TV work. Uh, she goes on a lot of shows, Ed Sullivan, Johnny Carson. Um, she gets married uh, twice more uh, between uh, 1970 and 1978, uh, both end in divorce. Um, she does a lot of Vegas shows. Uh, she uh, had, she would hang out with uh, Elvis and Tom Jones, and they would get together uh, late at night, and they would sing gospel songs together. Ooh. Uh her last television appearances uh, occurred from 78 to 81. Uh, after 1981, they say that there was some television show that she cameoed on uh, a Mother's Day special. That's the last record anyone has of um, ever seeing her uh, on television. Mm-hmm. Um, she then really disappears. Um, yeah. She uh, leaves the scene. Uh, she does not do any more work. Nobody knows where she lives. Some people say that she lives in Los Angeles, some in Memphis, some in Savannah. Nobody really knows. There are people who get calls every now and again. The, one of those record producers uh, in 1987 or 91 maybe is when Reba did Fancy. And I, I don't mean to say anything bad about uh, Reba. She's a powerful, independent woman in her own right, but her version is much different. It is a very 1990s CMT country version of Fancy. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, it doesn't necessarily, for me, have the same sort of authenticity that um, Bobby Gentry's version does. And uh, Bobby called one of the uh, record producers, I think it was Rick Hall, who helped her make the, her version of Fancy, just to ask him what um, what she what, what he thought uh, of Reba's version, and he didn't like it at all. Now, mm-hmm. how much of that is because he's talking to Bobby or his genuine thoughts? He talks about that they didn't put in the same kind of work that we did um, mm-hmm. to make our version of Fancy. And uh, she said uh, that Reba's money will spend like anyone else's. And uh, he asked her where she was, and she said that she had bought an island off of the coast of Savannah, and that she had her mansion on there, and uh, that that was it. That that was, and that she was selling her artwork for twenty thousand dollars a pop. Wow! Uh, and that's without people, I guess, really knowing that it's her. That's just on the art's uh, 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 own credit, uh, without people necessarily knowing that it's her selling it. Um, uh, j- just about uh, uh, 13, 14 years ago, one of the producers, uh, Jimmy Haskell, uh, the guy who never shaved his beard, uh, he got a call saying that uh, from Bobby saying that she that she had made a new song 
and that she wanted him to produce it. Mm-hmm. And he said that he he had a whole lot of commitments at the time that he he couldn't devote anything at this exact moment. Uh, I can give you a recommendation of another producer or you can wait just a little bit and then I can do this project with you. Um, and never heard back from her. Mm-hmm. He returned her calls and nothing ever happened. And uh, I just have to think of what could have happened if he had said yes at that moment. Could mm-hmm. we have gotten another song, another album? Um, but wasn't meant to be. Um, uh, in 2018, Capitol Records uh, released a whole eight-disc set of all of her albums, including a lot of um, backstage takes and uh, demos and things. Um but uh, to this day, nobody really knows where she is, but we are pretty sure that she is still alive somewhere. Um, and that's the first person that we've ever done on this show that is still alive somewhere. And uh, I'd just like to take a moment now, because so many of Bobby Gentry's songs sounds like she's singing them just for me. I'd like to take a moment here uh, to just address her directly because you never know. Maybe she's out there somewhere and somebody found her and showed her uh, uh, the podcast. And maybe she's already been listening for many episodes. Uh, But I'd just like to say, uh, uh, Miss Gentry, I'd like to thank you so much for all of the work and the talent uh, that you shared with the world. Um, your songs, your stories made uh, existence on this cold blue marble uh, just a little bit sweeter. And uh, I thank you uh, so much for that. And I hope that you have the peace uh, and serenity uh, that you so richly deserve for all of the work uh, and all of your talent that you shared with us. And if you do know your birth time, um, we would love to know. Uh, uh, <laughs> Mom could do a whole chart with you on the house. Uh, f- uh, we would love uh, uh, to be able to uh, give you even more insight into how the stars uh, uh, had a say in everything uh, that you did, uh, as you are such a bright and glimmering star yourself. Uh, so... Uh, uh, I think that our our reading. I honestly think she was born pretty close to noon. Uh, Maybe so. Uh, the, the she's definitely uh, uh, beautiful. Definitely yes. got that moon. Uh, has that placement where I think it should be. Yes. Um, I think that there is um, so much here that that makes a, a, a lot of sense for such a uh, remarkably uh, beautiful person mm-hmm. uh, inside and out. That is very true. It, it, it is highly possible that she was born close to noon. Um, everything that I've seen in this chart makes perfect sense for what you have uh, related as who she was. And um, wow, wouldn't it be cool if she was listening to this? That would be so awesome. For me, as your mother... Um, it's very lovely to hear what it sounds like when you're smitten with someone. It's very nice. Uh, activating all of that seventh house Scorpio that you have, uh, is amazing. And one day, who, ladies, if you look oh, like oh, Miss Barbara, oh. <laughs> just send us pictures because <laughs> uh, this could be, no, we, hey, this, this could get us in a lot of trouble. We don't need any place to get us pictures. Uh, no, no, not those kind of pictures. 
But you're Head opening shots. to a door. That no, you're no. opening a door to a place we may not want to go. I'm sorry. I forgot what year it was. People don't just send pictures of their faces anymore. I don't understand. This is such a terrible society we live in. But um, yeah, I mean, it's really possible because everything in her chart, like eighth house, Uranus in Gemini, her brilliant mind blended with her gorgeous features and her heart you know all that leo is so much heart you know and then her saturn in uh cancer and it's interesting because as soon as you said bobby gentry i was like oh really like excited and then i got so sad just for a moment i was so sad like like devastatingly sad, like heartbroken sad. And that concerns me. But um, wow, what a wonderful, uh, wonderful woman. And Chandler, that research is amazing because I am really sure that not that many people really know who Bobby Gentry was. And it does concern me that when she moved to be with her mother, uh, considering that her mother left her, you know what I mean? I have issues. Um, but, uh, that her mother could have been not a very good mother and, you know, or, or, you know, we don't know all the circumstances. Maybe, I don't I mean, know. I, I but think I mean, she had. A, I think she probably songs, had a better childhood living with her paternal grandparents than she would have if she, her mother had taken her to California. That is true. I mean, that's how she gets all. If she had lived her whole life in California, we wouldn't have gotten any of the songs that we did get. This is true, but I am concerned about Fancy. And, yes. But um, wow, what a wonderful, wonderful, amazing, gorgeous, talented, brilliant woman. Good job, Chandler. You pick the best ones. <laughs> uh, well, I think on our scale of uh, right on the money to way out in outer space, I think even with this time, this is right on the money. This is um, uh, who uh, Bobby Gentry was, still is, uh, at, as as of the time of this recording and as far as of our knowledge. Um, so uh, a, a beautiful, remarkable lady as... Uh, the the uh the english uh called her um mm. i i think uh, uh and, and there's still so is there anything in the chart that would make give us any understanding of why she might leave at all why she might go away um well honestly then what i would need to do maybe if we did like on a patreon show or another show we could look at the transits that went on during that time you know okay. what I mean? And I think the transits might uh, give us some insight into that. Okay. Okay. I, I mean, and later on, I think we should do uh, Bobby Darren's chart and see um, how those two got along. Yes, um, that would be fun, too. Well, uh, that uh, concludes this episode of History in Retrograde. We'd like to thank you all so much for listening. Uh, if you would like to uh, reach out and support the show, uh, we have all the links provided in the show description uh, to our social media pages. Um, we also have a link uh, provided for a 
our PayPal account. Uh, every little bit helps us in producing a better quality show and expanding our audience. Uh, and if you would like to have uh, your uh, very own chart read, uh, we can make that happen for you. Uh, just reach out to Chandler's mom at historyandretrograde.com, and mom uh, can get with you about all the details on how to make that happen. Yes, I'm having so much fun reading everyone's charts. And I am creating an email list so I can update you on where I'll be and let you know uh, certain things about um, transits and things like that. But my most exciting thing right now, I mean, the sh everything about the show is so exciting, the way it's growing. It's really fun and very amazing to watch things happen. But the YouTube channel is really <laughs> blowing up. So if you haven't subscribed to the YouTube channel, you, you just know that it's there and that we are uploading uh, episodes from season one with the charts. So I go through the charts and I point out all the different things that uh, is being discussed in the podcast. And that's a lot of fun. Um, like the, the amount of views that we're getting is uh, so uh, awesome right now. Um, I mean, we're not, you know, huge but it's we're brand new so it's very fun and um i love hearing from you guys i love doing your charts it's really fun interacting with everyone um yeah just email me and uh we will get started on your chart uh, yes, and uh, thank you all so much uh, for listening and supporting. Uh, we'd also like to encourage you, uh, if you are listening to this on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, please leave us a uh, five-star rating. This mm -hmm. is a podcast all about stars, so uh, we uh, would definitely appreciate those five stars uh, and a uh, review. Um, uh, every little bit helps us in uh, growing the show. Uh, and as always, in conclusion, as long as your houses are in order and the stars are aligned, Everything will be just fine. Everything's going to be just fine. Thank you so much for listening. We love you. Bye-bye. Thank you so much. Bye-bye.